0: a privilege to once again be with you. Uh, like Mark said, it has been a joy. I have with me two students from Radius, Lexi and Caleb. Could you guys wave your hands real quick? So if you get some minutes with them after the service, you'll get to chat about what the program is and what uh, what they're doing there. They're in the first five weeks of it. They've got about eight and a half months left to go, so pray for them. They've got a long road to go. Um, We are going to be in the book of Matthew today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28. And I'm going to go into two themes of missions that many times are touched on but not focused on. And those themes are number one, unreached people groups as the primary goal of the Great Commission, and number two, church planting as the finish line. For the Great Commission. Unreached people groups is the goal, church planting as the finish line for unreached people groups. So I'm going to dive into that through Matthew 28. Many of you, I know about half of you, maybe a little bit more, were there on Friday night, so I won't go back and retell uh, a lot of my personal history. But for those of you that don't know, the quick version is, uh, came to the United States back in 2000, excuse me, 1993, Uh, Went to college, uh, got a degree in finance, worked in international finance for a few years quite a bit in Europe, Uh, was involved with a Dutch company over there, by God's great grace was involved with a good solid church in San Diego, California, where I am from, and then got challenged into missions, not through some uh, mystical missionary call, but through reading our Bibles. I say our Bibles because my wife and I had the same call and we read it in Scripture, and we couldn't get around the words of Jesus. And we're going to read those today as the clearest definition of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Headed over to the country of Papua New Guinea. If you find Australia on the map and you go up from Australia, you'll see Papua New Guinea on the right-hand side. Erie and Jaya, or West Papua, is on the left. Uh, we ended up through a series of events uh, getting into the country, and we learn the national language. If you're going to go and work with unreached people groups today, in 2021, you have to learn two languages. You learn the language of the country, where the unreached people group is located, then you learn the language of the unreached people group itself. And so we learned the national language, and then uh, our leadership presented us with a list of tribes that had been asking for the gospel for seven years or more. They didn't make the list unless they'd been asking for seven consecutive years, which broke our heart. There was one group on there called the Tuwadi people, and we were originally supposed to go to them. And I remember the day we went down to the airfield, and the pilot landed the plane, uh, the mission plane, a little Cessna 206. And he got out, and he says, guys, I got good news and bad news. The good news is it's a great flying day. The bad news is the airfield where I was going to drop you off at, and you were going to hike into the Tuwadi people, uh, that airfield is underwater. If they got six inches of rain last night and it is fully underwater. You're not going there today. What's your second choice? And so we pulled out the paper and on there was this people group called the Yembi Yembi people. And so I quickly scribbled out in the national language uh, a note because we'd heard that the Yembi's were a dominant, hostile people. Uh, I scribbled out on the note, we're coming to visit your village today. Please be kind. That was the gist of the note. I rolled up the note in an empty water bottle, shoved it in there, and we took off in the little airplane, flew for about 45 minutes, got over the people group. Uh, The pilot brought the plane down to about 300 feet over the trees, turned the plane on its side. We opened the window, and I hucked out the water bottle. And I will remember, uh, for the rest of my days, there was this little kid running like he was going to try and catch some football. And I'm thinking this water bottle is going to hit him in the head. I'm going to kill the first BMB. Uh It's going to be a horrible welcome. And he luckily missed the water bottle, pulled out the note, and then people came out of the jungle and we could see them waving it. We didn't know if any of them could read it because it was in the national language and they had no written language at that time. We ended up going off Uh, to about another 20 minutes. We landed at the closest airfield. They didn't have an airfield at that time. Later on, we would build that. Uh, And then we got in a motor canoe. A Motor canoe is a canoe about as long as this room, and it's got a motor on the back of it. And so myself and the seven guys that were with me, some mission leadership and my two coworkers, we motor canoed up this river for about six hours till we got to Yemby Yemby, And finally, we landed at the people group that we were meant to survey. And I'll never forget the first time getting greeted by the Yembees. If you come to Yembe, Yembe, and probably none of you will, maybe Mark will make it there someday, but um, in Yembe, Yembe, if they like you, don't ask what they do if they don't like you, but if they like you, they take a huge hunk of mud and they shove it into your face. Then they push it all the way down to about your Adam's apple. Then they take diced up flower petals, whip those at your face, and it sticks to the mud. And now you're beautiful. Now you're ready to come into the village. So... That was our introduction. First time, no words, wham, mud, flowers, and off we go. And so we made it into Yembe. We took a bunch of pictures. We took a bunch of video clips, uh, wrote down their language as best we could uh, phonetically, and then we went back out. We prayed. We sent some emails back to our home churches. And we prayed, uh, God, give us clarity, give us wisdom, give us discernment. Is this the people group that you have us going to? And finally, we landed uh, that this was it. And so we headed back in. We told the Yembis, we're coming to be your missionaries, and we're going to do four things. Number one, we're going to learn your language. We're going to learn to speak like you speak, because the message we have is too important to get wrong. So we're going to learn your language, and we're going to learn it really well. Number two, we're going to teach you how to read and write in your own language. There was no developed alphabet. We had to learn their language and then develop an alphabet, then teach them how to read and write. And then number three, we're going to take this really important book, and we're going to translate it into your language. And then the final thing we're going to do is we're going to teach you the meaning of this book. We're going to go through every verse in this book, every piece of writing. We're going to teach you what it means. And someday... When we finish those four things, we're going to leave. We're not here forever, but we're going to do those things, and we promise not to leave until we finish those jobs. And I remember them getting up, and they, uh, one of the chiefs got up, and he's working through an interpreter because I don't know his language yet, and he says, that's great. So happy that you've come. But if you're coming, we don't want you to live like outsiders. We don't want you to be like the ones who go and come. They'd had tourists come in and land in helicopters uh, they'd had a short-term missions team come in and give the gospel and mimes. That was interesting. Uh, and they, uh, they didn't want us to be like those ones. They said, if you're going to come and you're really going to do these things and you're going to live in our village, we want you to be like us. In Yembe Yembe, there's four clans. There's the ostrich clan, the eagle clan, the black cockatoos, and the toucans. They're four brothers. They're kind of like totems for the bro- four brothers that were the original uh, members of the Yembe people. And so they said, okay, so we're going to adopt you into clans. And so they adopted us into clans. We got new families. They looked at me. I've got these long legs and I got uh, a little bit of a crooked nose from playing too much basketball. And they said, you're definitely in the ostrich clan. So they put me in the ostrich <laughs> clan. My wife has long blonde hair. They put her in the eagle clan. They put the rest of our coworkers in these other ones. They gave us new fathers, new mothers. My son, uh, who is an only child, got 17 brothers and 23 sisters in one day. So... This whole system that we were bought into. In Yembi Yembi, we found out later, it's an insult to call somebody by their name. That's what outsiders do. That's what tourists do. If you're part of the clan, if you're part of the Yembe, Yembe tribe, you call everyone by how you're related to them. Brother, father, smaller father, in-law, in-law on my mother's side, on my father's side, cousin, third cousin, fourth cousin. So to learn a 1,000 people's names over the next three months so that we could become insiders to that people. And I told you guys on Friday night about the initiations, getting remarried, learning how to hunt boar for the first time, so that we could truly come and live among them like Christ lived among us. Sometimes people get lost and they don't realize there's a reason why Jesus didn't parachute in as a 28-year-old. He could have done that. He could have come and just shown up on the scene. Here's this incredible teacher. But he chose to come and to live among us humans as a child, to eat our food, to know our language, and that he was a known commodity. That's the carpenter's son. There's his brothers and sisters. We know him. And this living example who lived with us for 30 years, for three years of ministry. Think about that. 30 years of preparation for three years. Guys, the value of preparation. Americans tend to be addicted, especially in missions, to speed and pragmatism. Let's do this rapidly, let's do this quickly. That's the antithesis many times to clarity and church planting overseas. Don't go too fast. Get to be a known commodity. Know this church before you go, young people. That's the ethos of the Christian faith. We aren't people who are in a rush. We're a people that are consumed with clarity, that things could be made clear. We know this guy, the Yembis, I remember them telling outsiders, this guy's walked the trail with us. Feel his feet. His calluses are as thick as ours. Man, what a mark of respect to have calluses. I got different calluses now from wearing dress shoes, but back then man, it was a different story to become like the people that you're bringing the gospel to. And so that was the joy of our life, getting into there. And finally, after two and a half years, we'd learned their language. We taught them how to read and write. We had translated most of Genesis, most of Exodus, large chunks of the Old Testament. And I was halfway through the book of Matthew and we started teaching. We started that fourth job. And I'll never forget the day that we started and we told them three months in advance, this talk is coming in three moons and the entire village, nearly a thousand people turned out and we have a a teaching house. We don't have a church building, uh, still don't have a church building. We have a teaching house where everybody gathers. It's about the size of this room right here, uh, except it has no walls. So people can go and come and pigs and dogs can come flying through it at any time too. And the Yembees, we we didn't start in Matthew. We didn't start in Romans. We started in Genesis 1-1 to build the credibility of the God of the universe. And I was amazed to see how the scriptures are laid out to where a people who are the first time hearing about the Christ, hearing about the God of the universe, can fall in love with this one who's so different from their spirits. So different from their gods. The God who gives good things to his people, who makes all these different foods. The Yembis have 18 different kinds of sago. Sago's like their favorite food on the world. It's horrible. It's like Elmer's glue mixed with papier-mâché. It's just ridiculous. But they think it's the best food ever. They mix it with everything they eat. And these 18 kinds of sago, finally at the end of all creation, when we got through the six days of creation, laid out on a canoe, all the different kinds of sago. Then the different kinds of bananas, nine different kinds of bananas that the Yambi Yambis have. Flew in foods from Australia that they'd never tasted before. Sliced them into small pieces so as many people could taste for the first time in their life an apple, an orange. Does God eat food? No. Why did he make such wondrous variety? Because he loves you. He loves me. This is the God that we're talking about. Here's your ancestor spirits. Here's the gods you believe in. This is the God of this book. One of them is true. One of them is not. You choose. And to build God's credibility. And finally, we get to the fall of mankind. Genesis chapter 3, the hinge of humanity. If you don't understand Genesis chapter 3, I'm convinced you there's no way you understand Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You don't know what you're being saved from unless you understand the fall. And we taught the Yembees, and we would act things out. And the Yembees are not like you guys. You guys are a good audience, a good typical American audience where you know the appropriate times to laugh and the appropriate times to cry and to be quiet and all that. The MBs had never been in institutional learning. So if they like what you're saying, like I said on Friday night, they'll yell from anywhere, keep talking! And they'll just bellow out or they'll put their hands to their mouth and yell this. Like some guy over there will just yell it out. If they don't like, they'll say, keep talking. This talk is good to my belly because the belly is the seat of their emotions. Ours is our heart. Theirs is their belly. And so if they don't like what you're saying, they'll yell from anywhere as well, enough, shut your mouth. I'm about to throw this talk up because it's coming from their belly. and So you know if you're flying or dying, like it's really clear. So they're, they're talking the whole time while we're teaching. We get done with the fall of mankind. And they say, no, 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 act it out, act it out. And so my wife, uh, my wife and our coworkers and everybody, we had already pre-planned that we were going to do a skit. And so I have this black bed sheet and I'm Satan, and my coworker's wife, uh, she's Eve. And we're walking around because the Yembis circle you when you speak. The speaker stands in the middle. They're all around you, and they're crowding closer. So you have got about four feet to walk around in, and we're whispering loud enough for a 1,000 people to hear, Eve, Eve, just eat the fruit. Eat the fruit and your eyes will be open and you'll be just like God. And my coworker's wife is reaching out and she's looking at the fruit. And the Yembies, the Yembies are into this. This isn't some fables and fairy tales. They see this as their ancestors. And what happens to their ancestors trickles down to them today. Most Americans don't think in those terms, but people outside of this country do. And they're looking and they're watching what she's doing. And finally, they can't take it. Two of them get up and they pull her arm back. And they won't allow us to finish the skip. But she's going to eat the fruit. I know, but there's more to the story. It's okay. And they sit back down. And finally, my coworker's wife reaches out, grabs the piece of fruit that we tied to this little shrub that we had in the teaching house, takes a bite, and a 1,000 people go quiet. And we start talking about the ramifications of the fall. Man, by the sweat of your brow you will live from now on. Your women will have pain in childbirth. When we moved into Yemby one of the biggest reasons they wanted missionaries was for modern medicine. 15% sometimes different months, as high as 20% of the young girls that were giving birth for the first time died in childbirth. Children, it was nearly as high as 40%. When they were born, they would die pretty quickly. The practices that they went through. To say, you'll have pain in childbirth, there's no epidurals, there's no modern medicine out there. That was a real thing to them. And then the curse of all curses, from dust you came to dust you will return. We bury people. This is the reason why we bury people, what our ancestors did. That curse that trickles down to us today. But guys, there's a promise in Genesis chapter 3 that is so sweet that I'm going to send someone someday. We had a fig tree that was growing right outside the teaching house. We went out, ripped off a branch of the fig tree and hung it from the little platform that we were teaching from. And for the next three months, this branch that went down into smaller branches went down into leaves. Leaves turned brown, then they turned black, then they fell off the tree. The promise that when our ancestor broke out from God, we would feel that pain today. But someday there's one coming. Someday there's one coming who has the power to put the branch back in the tree to make things right between God and man again. There will be one coming. And I would never have believed it if I hadn't seen it and heard it myself. We get to the next day's lesson and we're teaching on Abra- or, excuse me, Cain and Abel. And we're teaching on Cain and Abel and one of the YEMVs, and typically Yembe fashion stands up and he says, wait, 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 wait. Stop the talk, stop the talk. This one that you speak of, Cain, is he the one? I said, what do you mean? Is he the one who's gonna put the branch back in the tree? Is he the one that's going to make things right again? No, he's not the one. He's not. Okay. All right. Keep the talk going. And he sits back down. (laughs) Guys, every Old Testament character that we introduced, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, somebody got up and asked the question, is he the one? Is he the one who's going to make things right again? That's the whole point of the Old Testament, to point to the coming of the one who's going to put the branch back in the tree. That's the reason that we waited thousands of years, our ancestors in the faith, for the one who would make things right. And the privilege of my life that when we got to John chapter 1, and John the Baptist is standing beside the River Jordan, and he sees Jesus walking along, and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we got about five Yemmys that stand. Wait, 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 wait. Stop the talk. Stop the talk. Is he the one? Is he the one? Guys, a privilege. Say, he's the one, guys. He's the one that we've come here for. He's the one that we left our homes for. He's the reason that we are living among you today. This whole talk centers around that one. Oh, man. You got people. I mean, there's any sense of formality went out the window. Stop the talk of John who dunks in water. We want to hear about this one. And so (laughs) there. The excitement to see the one who finally is going to make things right. And guys, I don't have time this morning to get into how that whole process of teaching through and how the Yembe Yembis fell in love with Jesus before they even knew he died for them. Because Jesus came for people like them. Jesus didn't hang out in the power circles. He wasn't with the political leaders. He wasn't with the religious leaders. He was with people like the Yembe Yembis. There's a reason why the last 3,100 unreached language groups on the face of the earth today are the last ones. It's not by accident. It's not some random dispersion. Oh, there's a few in Thailand. There's a few in the Middle East. There's a few in North Africa. No, no, no. The reason they're the last ones is because they're the hardest ones to get to. They're the furthest out. They're the least under the eye of public scrutiny. The governments have forgotten about them. They have the most difficult languages. The Yembes were some of the last ones because they were so far away from the capital, because they were so hard to reach. And Jesus hung out with people like that. Jesus looked for those types of people, the marginalized of society, to see them fall in love with him, and finally on that great day, April twenty eighth, 2008, to present the death, burial, and resurrection, and to see the church come into existence, the colonel, the baby of the church, born in Yemb for the first time in their history. Guys, I could have died happy on April, at the end of April twenty eighth, 2008, but we stayed eight more years to see a church gathered, to see elders, deacons, to see them develop their own teachers, to see the literacy program spread to the other villages. And finally in 2016, came back to the United States when we had finished the translation and started working at Radius. So there is a very long introduction and now I'm going to cook a little bit just to get through some of these passages. Matthew 28, here we go. Emphasis on unreached people groups and emphasis on the church as the finish line for missions. This is where we're going this morning. This is the clearest Great Commission passage we have. We have John chapter 20, we have Luke 28, we have Acts 1 8, all separate instances where Jesus tells the disciples, This is what you are to do in my absence, this is the task that remains. Americans sometimes get confused about this. Well, Jesus meant as we're going. Hmm. Not from all four passages. You can't come away with that. The clearest version of this is Matthew 28. He says this in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I want to pause right there just really quickly. All authority in heaven and on earth. What that means is that if you call yourself a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, your plans are subservient to his plans. Your ambitions, this is the new one that's exciting for a lot of people, your passions belong to the king. You're an individual under authority. You don't get to call the shots in your life. If you're an unbeliever, you get to do whatever you want. Whatever you desire, whatever fulfills you, whatever gratifies you, that's your choice. But if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, you're a person under authority. Sometimes we have this idea that, well, my giftings and what I'm passionate, you know what my giftings were? I was great at international finance. I was the youngest CFO in company history, 26 years old, working in Europe. You know how many times I used my business degree in Yem, 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 Yem Please, my goodness. Developing an alphabet for them. We taught basic level accounting one time, and it was like rocket science. It was like we were shooting off to the moon or something. It was just it was too much. Your passions, your giftings, praise God if He can use them, but sometimes He won't. Sometimes He's going to ask you at cost to you to buy into His passions, His plans his glory. And he continues on, he says, because you are people under authority, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The task before us as Christians, the reason the church isn't, the reason you're not instantly taken to heaven right after you're saved, you're left here for a job. You're not left here to just be, well, as we go along. No, no, no. Our job is to get to the nations. And what the nations in this context means, the actual Greek, and I hate trotting out Greek, but the actual Greek is ponteta ethne. And that's the word that we get ethnicities from, all ethnic groups. That doesn't mean nations as we understand them as geopolitical nation states, Germany, Afghanistan, the United States. No, no, no. The gospel's been in every country on the face of the earth for almost 100 years. It's the actual ethnic groups within those countries that still have nothing. That's where the impetus of the Great Commission is meant to go. This is what the original authors understood. This is what the disciples understood. This is what the apostles understood. I remember when I was translating the book of Romans, I'm working through, I did... All of the Pauline epistles translated all of the gospels except for Mark and did Genesis and Exodus and large chunks of the Old Testament. There was another guy on our team. He did everything else. And uh, I remember translating uh, Romans chapter 4, and I was having a hard time with one particular passage. And I remember telling my language helper when we started the process of the epistles, we had believers by that time. I said, we're only going to translate from the Bible. We're not going to take other books. I'm going to have some helps here and there, but I'm going to only translate from the Bible. And so I'm running into this difficult passage in Romans chapter 4, and I remember reaching over and I grabbed another version. So I was working off of the NASB. That was my first, uh, the source translation. You have to have a modified literal. And so I reached over. I grabbed another version. And I was just flipping through it. And this uh, helper of mine, his name's Tarangawi. Tarangawi goes, wait, 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 wait. What's this other book? What's this other book that you pulled out? I thought you said we were only going from the Bible. What's this other book? And I said, Tarangawi, this is another version in my language. He says, what? You have more than one version in your language? And I, I just, it dawned on me right then. I'd never thought of it before. It, it dawned on me. And I said, yeah. And Tarangawi did what Yembe do when they just, something so big, something so massive to their mind. He goes, <sighs> he goes how many versions do you have? How many versions do you have in your language? Guys, I'll be honest, confessional time, I I lied. I straight up lied. I said we've got about six, maybe eight. Six or eight versions in our language. I went back to the United States the year after and I did a little research. And you know how many versions we have in the English language? Over 800. 800 versions. You add the study Bibles and you're into the thousands. Does God love the English-speaking people that much more than the rest of the world? I don't think so. We've missed some critical component. We've missed something to all nations. We go to the nations, and we don't stop until every one of them has the gospel in their language. And the passage continues on, and it says this, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is where we get church planting from. When does the church gather? On the Lord's Day. What does the church do? We gather. We celebrate the Lord's Supper and baptism. We hear the teaching of the Word of God. We worship through singing, and we worship through gathering together, through hearing the taught Word. That's what the church does. To teach them everything that I have commanded you, that's the church. The fulfillment of the Great Commission is not disciples alone. Disciples are a great starting point. They're not the finish line. You gather those disciples into a local church and you see them matured and brought to the point to where they can propagate the gospel in other cultures. That's what the Great Commission is. We keep pressing on. We keep maturing. We keep teaching to where that people group can form its own gathering of believers and do what this body is doing today. That's the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Because here's the honest truth, that when disciples understand the gospel, if they're not brought into a church, you know what happens? They end up dying, just like every other human being on the face of the earth. And they don't spread the gospel further. Churches harbor and nurture and grow, and from them emanates the gospel. And it's a big thing of mine to see young people brought into the church to know the local church before they head out into missions. You know why? Because they're going to plant a local church. How do you know what you're going to do unless you know this local body well? Young people, know the church, warts and all. I promise you, this church is not perfect. You know why? It's made up of human beings. Know this church before you go, though. Know the ministries involved. Know the leaders involved. Understand what it takes to teach, to govern. Know your theology well so that you can take those lessons and do the same when you reach that people group someday. But from the church is the emanation of the Great Commission and the finish line of the Great Commission. And then this wonderful passage that closes out Matthew 28. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's a wonderful question last night in the college and career group. A young lady asked uh, me right about the middle part of it. She said, uh, what's the most costly thing involved in missions? Hands down. No question at all. The most costly thing in missions is leaving family behind. That's the the biggest price tag. Guys, (laughs) there will be a cost associated with your young people. I always wonder sometimes when people are cheering on to the nations, to the nations, what if it's your sons and daughters? Do you still have that same zeal for the nations if your sons, your daughters decide that this is what they want to do with their lives, possibly give their life overseas? I love the recounting of the first American missionaries to head overseas, Adniram Judson and his wife, and the service that they conducted that afternoon as they were about to walk them down to the ship that was going to take them to the country of India and eventually get them to Burma. Here's the recounting of that. It says this, that same day the two girls, they're talking about Adoniram's wife, uh, his first wife. He ended up having three because two of them died uh, when they were overseas. Nancy Judson and her dear friend that was on that ship as well. The same day the two girls attended a great meeting in the church in Haverhill. The church was jammed to the rafters with onlookers. Some were merely curious to see the first American foreign missionaries in person. But to most, the occasion was a heart-wrenching farewell to the two girls. They had seen grow up almost all their lives, and they had known their families for many years. The pastor, Pastor Allen, delivered the sermon, and the good old minister had known the two since infancy. Many times visiting the Hasseltine Dance Hall, that's Ann or Nancy's house, And he had seen them them whirling about, flushed and happy, enjoying themselves without a thought of life that would bring. He spoke to them before the packed throng as if he were their own father. My dear children, he told them, you are now engaged in the best of causes. It is the cause for which Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world and suffered and died. You literally forsake father, mother, brothers, and sisters for the sake of the Christ and the promotion of his kingdom. He had word f- words for the girls' parents and the congregation as well, but at the end of his discourse, he turned to the two girls, Nancy and Harriet, and he concluded in a voice nearly breaking, to the care of the great head of the church, I now commit you. To his grave, I also resign you. May he gather us as one someday, and may you return to Zion with a song, with the shouts of everlasting joy. That's our heritage. First American missionaries to go walked out from that service, got on the boat, headed overseas. Nancy never returned home. She died in Burma. Adoniram returned home one time 33 years later, went back, ended up dying in Burma, buried off the shores. They were trying to get him to recover from the ocean air. This is our heritage. The only way you measure missions, the only way you measure meet, meeting the nations, the only way that it works is if heaven is real. If heaven's real, if someday we will all be gathered together, the shouts of the king as he gathers in the people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, what will your legacy be? What will the sons and daughters that come from this church give the glory of this church, the glory of the parents, the glory of the pastoral staff, the glory of this gathered body? What will it be someday? Because it'll only be measured in heaven. On earth, it doesn't make sense. There's no great 401k program in missions. It's a rough life to take the gospel where it's never been before. But the glory on the other side of death, when we cross that great river someday, measured in eternity, this is worth every one of our lives. This is worth our sons and our daughters, but it's only measured in eternity. Turn to the last passage we have today, and I will close on this. Romans chapter 10. Romans, you don't understand this, usually people don't, until they read Romans chapter 15. Romans is the most elaborate, the most doctrinally concise missionary support letter. At Radius, we teach students how to write missionary support letters because they got to write a lot of them. And usually missionary support letters, missionaries are sometimes really bad at writing support letters. There's like 40 paragraphs of thick, heavy information, single spaced. At the bottom, there's a couple pictures. And we tell them, flip that. You need about 20 pictures and you need about two paragraphs of content. The average churchgoer is not going to read past two paragraphs. And so, but Romans is this missionary support letter where Paul is asking for support from the Roman church as he gets ready to go on his final missionary journey to Spain. And two times in the book of Romans, Paul lays out why he needs to go to people who haven't heard the gospel yet. Romans chapter 1 verse 18, he gives the clearest point of understanding that if unsaved people, unreached people who never have a chance to hear the gospel perish, they still go to a Christless eternity. That's Romans 1:18. That's the first time. The second time that he hammers that home is this passage Romans 10:13, where he speaks to why we go it says this, Romans 10 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise God. Praise God for the man. I was encouraged this morning to hear the emphasis on international students. As those ones come, be a faithful church member. You have thousands of missionaries in Lubbock, Texas. We don't call them missionaries, you know what we call them? Church members. Church members. These people are given into your hands, whether they're 18 to 25-year-old students from Lansing, Michigan that happen to end up at Texas Tech, or they're from Lucknow, India. Wherever they're from, they're your responsibility. They're your neighbors. They're the people that you know. We don't call people who witness in their home context missionaries. We call them church members. Church members who are faithful to be a faithful Christian in their local context. Invite them to church. Get them to come. Take them out for food. Take them bowling. I love that. Take them out bowling. I I don't like bowling, but some people do. (laughs) Be a faithful church member. Be the aroma of Christ in your home context. I question people who don't share their faith in their own country, in their own language. Do you know the gospel? Has this truly changed your life? The gospel changes people. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he presses it home for the cross-cultural context. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? These are rhetorical questions. Those of you that haven't gone through English class don't know that rhetorical questions are, answers that are questions that we all know the answer to. They can't. They cannot. There's no way someone can understand the gospel. They can understand that there's a God. They can understand that they're a created being, but they can't understand the gospel unless someone goes to them. That's the answer that is implicit in what Paul is putting down here. And then he presses it a little bit further, and he says this, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? There's a lot of methodologies, a lot of bad missiology that is out there today, the majority of it. Through dreams and visions, guys, if you look at Scripture, you will see people having dreams and visions, but none of them come to saving faith by dreams and visions. They get led to someone else who knows the gospel and teaches them clearly. Dreams and visions will lead you somewhere, but they won't give you the gospel. That's not a strategy for reaching the unreached. The Jesus film, only if they know the context. Jesus isn't the answer until you're asking the right questions. If you don't understand Genesis chapter 3, what's the point of the Jesus film? Someone has to go. Someone has to preach. Then it says this wonderful part that applies to about 75% of you in this room. And how can they preach unless they are sent? There's, a two, part, there's two parts to missions. There's goers and there's senders. There's those who are going to be the tip of the spear who are going to take the gospel to those places, those peoples, those languages that haven't heard it yet, and there's those who are going to be faithful church members who are going to send. I praise God for Jack and Mary Alice Griffin. They had a construction business before I headed to the field. Man, I, when we were heading to the field, I was not a good bet. I'll be, I'll be blunt. Guys are like, you're, you're a finance major. What in the world? You're heading to the jungle? Jack Griffin takes me down to Home Depot, Walks me through, says, Brooks, you're going to need this. Grabs out an east wing hammer. Brooks, you're going to need this. Here's a tape measure. Brooks, you're going to need this. And just picks some stuff off, knowing. Then he laid out, okay, when you get there, you're going to have to build a house. If you need help building a house, you call me first. You write me an email first. Jack Griffin, who's in heaven today. Mary Alice Griffin, who graduated to heaven two weeks ago. His wife. Faithful senders. Dave Johnson. Ran a travel agency. Brooks. You need to get to the field. Let me, let me have a part in finding you some tickets. Tell me when you need to come back from the field. Dave Johnson. Guys, I remember hearing the story about William Carey when he was heading to the field for the first time, the, the father of what we call modern missions, Englishman. And William Carey and his three friends sat around and they, uh, they talked about William leaving to head to India. He would head to India and he would never come back again. But he would produce one of the best translations in the language that has ever been produced in that entire continent. William Carey, as he's going, and his friends are sitting around, they described it as William was about to drop down a dark, dark well. and He was gonna fall all the way down, but his friends were going to be at the top, holding on to the rope as he goes down. Guys, I believe someday when the king returns, he's gonna ask the people who go down the well, the guys, the young people, the ones from your body here that are gonna go, show me your hands. Show me your hands. What did it cost you to go? He's going to ask for the goer's hands. But the people at the top of the well who are letting the rope down, the Jack and Mary Alice Griffins, the Dave Johnsons, the about 75% of you in this room, the senders, show me your hands. What did it cost you to see the gospel taken to the ends of the earth? Did it cost you anything? Were you involved to any degree? Praise God for the men who came to the prayer breakfast on the morning. Praise God for those of you that are raising sons and daughters, raising them up as soldiers of the king. It will take uncommon courage, uncommon sacrifice. We're not just talking about finances here. Do you know where your missionaries are? I love the way it was described this morning, extensions of our bodies. Our ambassadors, these are your people. Are you involved in that? Do you have any scars? Or is that only for other people? Sends our son victorious as long as it's not my son. What will it cost you to be a faithful sender? And he finishes it out and he says this, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, the message of peace, the message of reconciliation, that we can be made right with God again, that our ancestors rebelled against God, fell away, and yet through Jesus Christ, we are made right through the gospel, that he died in our place, that he took our sins upon him, and we're made right. What a wonderful message, not just for English speakers, for any human being on the planet. You can be made right with God again. That's the message that we bring. That's the aroma of Christ. That's why we do these things. That's why we send. That's why we live the way we live. We worship. We sing the songs that we sing. Father, send us. Send someone from our body. Adorn this body with goers and faithful senders so that someday when our time comes, when we cross the great river, those of you that haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, we cross that river of death and we reach the celestial city. What will it be like? What will the king say to us on that great day? What did you live for? What marked you during this time? To take the gospel to the ends of the earth.
1: When we were in Yembi
0: Yembi, and close with this, I know I'm a few minutes over, but I was told in Melanie Park, it's only the beginning of the clock that matters. The ending is irrelevant. So I'm going by that. <laughs> Um, when we were in Yembe two weeks after we'd presented the gospel, I remember at night, so my house was built on these poles. Poles. They're like big posts, 16 of them. So I had four rows of posts, and it was up about eight feet off the ground. And so the Yembis helped me build the house. They had bark walls, uh, corrugated aluminum roof, and we would catch the water in these big four-inch PVC pipes. It would go to a 2,000-gallon tank. We had an RV pump and then solar panels. We were green before it was cool to be green. Uh, There's no other power out there. And so uh, we had this house that was up on these big poles, and the Yembies. if they needed to get me at night, what they'd do is they had this pole that they'd hidden, this long, pointy pole, and they knew where our, uh, my head was at night. And so they'd take this pole, and they'd hit the bottom of the floor. And I mean, you thought it was Armageddon. Like, your, your head would bounce off the floor because you had this thin mattress that you'd sleep on, and I mean, you just, I don't know what happened, but I'm, I'm awake now. Sure enough, two weeks after we presented the gospel at night, what? They hit the bottom of the floor and I wake up, it's two o'clock in the morning, go to the window and yell out there, who is it? And it's a typical Yembe answer. It's me, it's me. <laughs> I know it's you. What, what's your name? Who are you? He goes, it's me, your tribal father. Oh. So this is one of the chiefs of the village. And so I know it's pretty serious. And so I go outside and uh, take my flashlight, and in Yembe, it's rude to shine your flashlight on somebody's face. It wrecks their night vision, so you shine it on their feet, and they can recognize literally every one of them, a 1,000 people. They can recognize each other based off of their feet. Of course, they can recognize me based off of my feet, but I can't recognize a thing. And so I'm looking at their feet, and I have no idea who I'm talking to. Seven people, seven men, and I'm working my way up to the kneecaps, and I get to the belly buttons and the shorts, and I'm like, okay, I know that guy, I know that guy. And these are seven believers, seven people that we, uh, we at that time, uh, un- thought they understood the gospel. We'd done interviews with them, seven uh, people who were Christ followers. And I remember asking them, guys, what's up? Did somebody get bit by a snake? Does somebody have malaria? Uh, is there something going on? That's usually why they'd come get me. or some emergency. And I'll never forget this. Uh, my tribal father, Yagotal, he goes to me, he goes, uh, no, we wanted to know when we're going. I said, what do you mean? We wanted to know, okay, first of all, the talk from the book says that if someone doesn't understand this talk about the bridge man, the bridge man is the man who takes us from God or from Satan's side to God's side. If someone doesn't understand the talk of the bridge man, that they go to the place of fire. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. That's true. So when are we going to our sister village, Changriman, who's six hours hike that way? When are we going? Will it be tomorrow or will it be the next day? Two weeks old in the faith. When are we going? Guys, when I came back to the United States in 2016, uh, I had a very wealthy church. And uh, two years ago, I had a wealthy businessman. I don't tell this story in California because he lives there. But uh, I had both a church and a wealthy businessman come to me and offer, hey, for our missions conference, we'd like to fly the MBMB elders and their wives to the United States to do a missions conference, and I wouldn't do it for two reasons. Number one, it would blow their world apart, like just to get on an airplane, let alone Costco and American freeways. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it would it would just it would implode their universe. But number two, I told the businessman this. I couldn't tell the church this because I was too embarrassed, but the businessman, I told him, brother, you don't know what you're asking for. You think this would be a good thing. This wouldn't be a good thing. Because remember, the Yembis who if you're teaching in the Yembe Yembe Church, even to this day, if... We have these elders in training sometimes, and they'll get up and they'll veer away from the text. And the older women in the church will yell from the back, the canoe's turning, the canoe's <laughs> turning. <laughs> this poor guy, shame to death. The Yembees, who at two weeks old in the faith are asking where they're going. You want them to come here? Because they'd probably stand up here at this pulpit today, and they'd say some version of, you've had this talk for how long? How many years have you known this talk to be true? When are you going? When are you going? What more do you need? Brothers, sisters, some of you in here are meant to be senders and some of you are meant to be goers. But we're all meant to have a part. There's a reason why this is the end of the book of Matthew. There's a reason why this is the beginning of the book of Acts. There's a reason why Revelation 5 and Revelation 7 says, every tongue, tribe, nation, people will be gathered around the throne. What will be the heritage of this church on that great day? What will it be like when we all get there someday? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for a God who did not leave us in our sins, but who formed a plan at the cost of your own son The cost of his blood to bring us back, to put the branch back in the tree. Lord, I pray for the ones in this congregation. Lord, I am so very thankful for the regular teaching of the word that they receive from this pulpit. Lord, I pray that that would spur them on to action, spur them on to be courageous lights in their own community. Lord, spur them on to send their own sons and daughters, their own from this congregation, sent from this church to reach the nations. Father, give us courage. We are prone to be weak people, we're prone to wander, we're prone to be fearful. Give us courage for the days that we walk this earth, so that when we meet you face to face someday, We can be thankful for the way that we spent the days, the time, the resources that we had. And we know that you will be with us to the very end of the age. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.